Um, Father, your word tells us that um, it's better for us to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting because in this setting, uh, we reflect upon our own lives. And so, um, Father, we recognize the the brevity of life, uh, whether somebody dies at 125 or um, they die while in the womb. Um, it, It all is quick. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us as we um, reflect on those who have fallen as serving our nation. Um, we ask that you would help us to take an inventory of our lives, um, that we would uh, make use of our days uh, in giving you honor and glory. And um, Father, we pray for those um, families who have lost loved ones presently, um, For many, many years, we have somebody in this room that was connected to somebody in the Civil War. And so, Father, we uh, lift up the families that remain. Um, we pray for the, the parents, the grandparents, the, the, the widows and widowers who are left behind. Uh, we pray for the children, the siblings. And, Lord, we ask that uh, you, would, you would heal the wounds of their loved one's sacrifice. Father, we take this day to also to, to seek you and to um, cry out, Maranatha, uh, come, Lord, come quickly, because we know that um, peace will ultimately come when you return and you set things in order the way you set that desired them to be. And so, Lord, we long for that day <clears throat> when there is no more war, there is no more sin, there is no more uh, evil happening in our midst. Um, And Father, as we um, continue our worshiping of you uh, through the studying of your word, we ask that you would guide us as we continue through the gospel of Mark. Uh, We look at the the text of uh, the issue of the Sabbath and the things that happened there. And here we are on a holiday weekend and enjoying um, just a little extended time off. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to understand what happened in this text. Uh, we ask that you would help us to understand the context, the, 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 the history associated with what was going on during Jesus' time, and that you would give us wisdom by your Spirit to, um, to see the, the principles that extend from this passage. May we honor you with our lives. May we... Uh, worship you appropriately, um, both uh, intellectually and and spiritually, Lord. Um, We desire that you correct us and lead us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your leading and teaching in our own lives. Uh, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, 
he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then, they, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this passage. We ask that you would uh, guide us as we work our way through it. Um, May we grow closer to you through this study. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, so the corresponding verses of this passage um, are found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And also in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, I'll I'll kind of reference those uh, as we go through this passage because they kind of shed a a little bit of light. Uh, But we begin. It's one Sabbath. It's Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some grains of head. And so as we think about this story, it really is a beautiful story. It's, it's It's a Saturday. It's their day of worship. They likely had... Um, finished going to the synagogue. They, they probably spent their morning there in, in worship and learning and, and moving from their time in the synagogue. This, it, the text doesn't say that, but it just, it's the Sabbath. That's what they would have done. And so in Galilee, still to this day, it's, it's just a, a, a peaceful farming sort of setting. And they're walking along the grain fields and as they're going through the grain fields, one of the guys picks some, some weed up and kind of crushes it in his hand, blows off the excess, and then, you know, throws them into his mouth and chews away and, and, and just sort of enjoys himself as, or themselves as they're eating. Um, Matthew adds, obviously, they did this because they were hungry. Luke is the one that gives us the, the extra added that they put it into their hands and they rub their hands together. And, and just the process of how they would have eaten. And as I start been thinking about the story, I recognize uh, how Valley Center has changed me. I've, there's a lot of things that can be said, but one of the convictions that I've gained since living in Valley Center is kind of funny to me. I, but I now have deep, deep convictions you know, especially a church that is bordered by two orange groves. I, I uh, jog in my area where there's avocado groves. And, you know, the question is, is it okay <laughs> from the road to reach into the orange grove, pop off a nice juicy orange, or to the same thing in the avocado grove. I know I, I didn't have convictions about this before I moved to Valley Center, um, but it didn't take long for this question to arise and, and t- t- to realize that there are deep black and white feelings on this, that it's wrong, and that it's stealing. Um, I've heard people say, you don't buy fruit from the people on the side of the road because that's stolen fruit. <laughs> I can't say that for everything, but that's, I'm just telling you what I've heard since I've been here. 
Um, I see signs along or, uh, avocado fields, especially. I'm more tempted by avocados than I am by oranges. But bold, bold signs. Stealing avocados is theft, and you will be prosecuted by, to the extent of the law. Like, I see this all along these avocado fields. <clears throat> it's been to the point where, where a few years ago, man, I mean, a few years ago, within the year... This guy's, this guy's orange field, I see like 100 bicyclists just parked on the side of the road just helping themselves. And, and, and I come into work, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, what do I do? Do I say something? Do I call 911? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, you know, then I walked out around there. I'm kind of looking at him like, do I say? Do I? Finally I say, hey, guys, you, you know that's stealing, right? The guy, work, the guy, whoever it is, could be, I don't even know idea who the guy is, but I know they sell all of them, and I said something. And they're like, oh, Dad, thanks for letting us know. And they, you know, I was like, yeah, you city people coming up here. And, <laughs> and so it's easy to read to the story with my valley center eyes and go, these disciples, this isn't their grain. They're stealing other people's food. That's why the Pharisees are all upset at them, which isn't the case. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 through 32. Uh, there was sort of a welfare system built into their culture that through the farmlands that you were allowed from the road to reach in and have some food. Um, Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 through 25 reads, if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. Because what does that mean? You can eat them to satisfy a hunger, but if you're putting them into your basket, that means it's like walking into the buffet and bringing boxes to carry out. They don't allow that. You're allowed to eat there, but not to harvest for the sake of storing up for later. It, it, it goes on and say, if you enter your neighbor's grain field... You may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So you can't just start, we're going to start harvesting this. Like, we're having bread tonight, kids. Like, we, uh, we got all the wheat we need. It says, no, you can, you, can, you can harvest it. I missed the one scene where I would have gotten the picture. Anna may have gotten the picture, but in Israel this last time, it was harvest season. And, and I guess Brian... Uh, harvested a little piece of wheat and did it for Ellie and fed her wheat. And so I, I heard about it, um, but I didn't see it. And so when we look at this story, starting, it's one Sabbath, Jesus is going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. It's a beautiful story. I mean, they, they'd gone and worshipped. Now they're spending time with Jesus in the beautiful region, the Galilee they're a little bit hungry. They, they, they take some heads of grain. They began eating. And if the story ended here, this, this, it really there wouldn't have been anything to report. But in verse 24, we read that the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so these guys, the legalists who Jesus has been pushing back on, I mean, this, has been go, this is um, a, a number of things have, have began, begun to happen where these guys begin attacking. You're, you're doing various things that you shouldn't be doing by the rules that we've made. 
And Jesus keeps challenging them and pushing back on them. Um, <clears throat> they're not arguing about what they're doing. They're, they're upset about the when they're doing it. It's not that they're taking the grains off of the, off of the, the plant. On, it's that they're doing it on the, on the Sabbath. And so they've created a, a bunch of rules about this. Uh, Matthew makes it sound like these guys are like stalking them. And they kind of jump out of the bushes. In Matthew 12, 2, it says, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. It's like they're minding their own business and they're being stalked by the Pharisees just looking to issue them tickets about what they're doing wrong. And so it begs the question, like, what is this? Like, what is the Sabbath? What does the Bible say about it? What's happened during this time? Um, it's clearly a big deal in today's text. It's going to be a big deal next week when we, the story, we're breaking it in half. At another Sabbath, next week we'll look at that Jesus is there on a Saturday. All of the, the Pharisees are there ready to pounce on Jesus. There's a guy that's crippled. And the question comes up, can Jesus heal this guy on the Sabbath? And so Jesus is going to continue pushing on them and their, their traditions or their man-made rules. And by the end of next week, we'll see that they're going to begin plotting to kill Jesus because they, he's going against these things that they've created. And so this Sabbath, it's the seventh day of the, Jew, the Jewish calendar. It's really the seventh day of our calendar. The first day of the week really is Sunday, even if you, in our calendars. It ran from sunset Friday night until sunset of Saturday. Um, it really, by God's design, it was a simple concept. Um, <clears throat> in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment, I'm not going to read it for, for time's sake. I guess I could, but um, basically it says don't do any work on, on the Sabbath. God, God rested on, uh, he created for six days. He took the seventh day off. He rested God didn't need the rest, but he sort of set precedence for the, for the order of, of life and what he desired from his people. And then in Leviticus chapter 25, the first seven verses, the, the Sabbath idea was continued in that every seventh year, the land was to rest. And this is a, 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 an, an agricultural-based society. And it says, listen, on the seventh year, do no work. Just let the land be. And whatever the land produces when you're not doing the work to cultivate the fruit, it's okay to eat that food, but you're not going to work the land. Just give the land a break. And so the point was, was, was simple. He, he wanted his creation to rest once every seven days and to consider God. It's a simple and wonderful concept. God gave the idea of the Sabbath to be a blessing to, to us. It, it really is something for us to think about, that God created the weekend. You know, we've kind of added a, a day, but, but God simply wants us, hey, work for six days, and then on that seventh day, stop. Catch your breath. Think about God. rest. And I'm going to be stepping all over my toes because I am so bad at this one. Like I'm, I, 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 
so I don't know if I'm going to step on other people's toes, but it's really, like, I really struggle with forcing myself to take a day off. And, and so I've, this week I did. I took a day off, and it was, and I was like, man, you're just lounging around the house all day. I'm like, yeah. You think I should ride my bike in and go to church? She's like, no, no, it's good to see you just like sitting here <laughs> not dressed or anything like it's noon, and you're just like hanging out. It's pretty cool. Uh, she was happy with me doing that, so I'm let her keep going, you know. <clears throat> and so the question is like, what, what's their what's their rub? No pun intended, you know. <laughs> They're rubbing the grain. Like, what's um, they in Exodus 34? So a few chapters after the fourth commandment was given, what we refer to the fourth commandment. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. But the, you know, of the 10 that we've kind of created, um, <clears throat> it's the fourth one. And so in Exodus 34, 21, it says, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plow- plowing season and the harvest season you must rest. <clears throat> and so this, this I don't want to say the, pr- the, the pressure of God it sounds bad. The question is, is how badly does God want the Sabbath for his people to follow it? And, and th- this is a, a culture that's lives re- revolved around the harvesting season, around planting food. It's how they survived. And so later, after the Ten Commandments are given, God goes back and he sort of highlights this one. He says, listen, every six days you, sh- you shall labor for six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Okay. A bunch of farmers are going to say, but what about plowing season? There's a lot of work that needs to get done. You have to get work done. And what about the harvest season? Like, the, the fruit will go bad if you don't harvest. Like, like what are we going to do if we lose ground? What if, what if the weather's been bad and this is the one break that we have to, to do this? And so God highlights, even during the plowing season and during the harvest, you must rest. And he's effectively saying, don't make any excuses for taking a day off. And we're great at making excuses for like the reasons to compromise, reasons not to follow through, like, ah, there's overtime or there's this sporting event or there's fill in the blank of, of, of reasons that we can come up with to, to compromise what God has said to us. And so they knew that then. And, and so if God said, don't do any work on this day, that's the sign that there's a cliff. Hey, warning, 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 there's a cliff. Don't do this. That's what God said. Then they would start adding a couple other signs back like, and, and identifying what, what defines work. What, um, what can we or can we not do on the Sabbath? And so they started adding all of these requirements, not that God laid out for them. God, God was pretty simple, and it was pr- pretty, uh, I'd say, clear with like room for your conscience. But they had created all of these rules. I, I, I mean, I don't even know how many, like, am I, I, I have no idea how many rules they created to sort of guard the Sabbath. The Sabbath had become... A, just a burdensome day, like the things that you could or couldn't do. 
Um, they actually, in this story, they're violating another one of, of traveling, but the Pharisees aren't, aren't dealing with them about the amount of distance that they had covered, probably because they also had to cover the distance because they're working really hard, the irony, to try to trap Jesus. Um, I read some guy said that there was a heated debate about how long on the Sabbath could you put your radish in salt before it, 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 it turned across the line that you were pickling your food, which counted as work. And so it was just crazy the things that they came up with. Um, the Life Application Bible Commentary says this on this. The Pharisees had established 39 categories of actions forbidden on the Sabbath. So there's 39 different categories. Within each one of those categories, there's a whole bunch of rules. I mean, so we, we're, we're probably going into like the thousands of rules. 39 cat- categories of actions forbidden on the Sabbath based on the interpretation of God's law and Jewish custom. Harvesting was one of those forbidden actions. Traveling any distance was another. By walking along and picking some of the heads of grain to rub into their hands to eat, the disciples were technically harvesting, according to the religious leaders. Barclay adds this. Work had been classified under 39 different heads, and four of these heads were reaping, winnowing, threshing, and preparing a meal. By their action, the disciples had broken all four categories, and they were lawbreakers. And this was a huge violation. Throughout this section, there's a, there's a, there's a strong warning, I think, to us, because it's, so, um, it's easy to see legalism in other people. It's really difficult to see it in ourselves. Some of these rules and these barriers that we establish in our own lives are are really good, that we do them to protect ourselves from maybe stumbling stumbling into a perpetual sin that we struggle with. Um, There's a a really big danger. Like I can see it in my life, like I've put up guardrails in my life, not for legalistic reasons, but then suddenly you have kids and then it's like, I know all of my sins and all of these guardrails, and it would be really easy to say, you can't do all of these, th- these additional g- things um, that I've put in my life for protection, and then to try to implement it into their lives. And I want to guard myself from this, because what I've learned from uh, older, more seasoned Christians that have raised godly children that love the Lord is the warning seems to be, hey, if you put up all these fake rules, the kids are going to start breaking all these fake rules, and by the time they get up to the cliff where actually God's rule is, they're so used to breaking all the fake rules, stepping over the line into God's rules, no big deal. It's, and so I think it's really important for us to, to, as we navigate life following Christ, to understand what our convictions are, the things that we've done to, to build up safety nets in our own life, um, to make sure that we know where the clear line is, like what did God say? 
And so the safety line that you've put up in your life maybe doesn't necessarily need to be in your kid's life. Uh, or maybe it could, but how, just how you uh, affect it. This is one of these ones that I can't, it's hard to be really absolute. We see the danger. Seek God. Seek his word. Be careful in how you implement it because without even knowing it, you could end up like these Pharisees who are out writing tickets for God that God doesn't care about. Like God has created them the freedom to walk through the grain fields to have a piece of grain on the Sabbath. And so then Jesus looks at them, or maybe he didn't look at them, he answered them. And he turns to the Bible. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Um, Last week, Jesus was confronted by about fasting and why his disciples didn't fast, but John John the Baptist's disciples did fast, and the Pharisees also fasted. And when he responded to them then, he, he reasoned to them from sort of cultural illustrations. He He used the wedding feast. He used the illustration of of patching a piece piece of cloth. He used the illustration of not pouring new wine into old wineskins. But this week he reasons from scriptures. Hey, haven't you guys ever read that story in 1 Samuel chapter 21? Uh, We're not going to read it now, but I'm going to share about the story. And so if you were to go back to... Look at the book of 1 Samuel, which is an amazing book of the Bible. Like, I really enjoy Samuel. Um, If we went back to to chapter 16, we would see the story where God is uh, pretty fed up with Saul as king by this point. He is actively king, but David is found as a a little boy. Um, He's anointed as the next king of Israel. His life sort of unfolds to the story of David and Goliath, which we all know. David and Goliath happens, and basically the people go crazy about David. He's wonderful. They're singing songs. While this is all happening, Saul is getting furious. And so he meets David, of course, because he's this new national hero, and his jealousy turns into rage and he tries to kill him once or twice. David just kind of faithfully serves the guy until finally in chapter 20, David goes to Jonathan, Saul's uh, son, and says, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, there's no way. My dad confides in, he confides in everything with me. David says, yeah, but he knows we're close. And so he's not telling you about the plan. Jonathan says, oh, okay. Well, there's a big banquet. And so I'll go to the banquet, I'll talk to my dad, and, and I'll, I'll kind of get direct about the point. And I'll meet you out here at the field, and if I, I'm going to have some, I'm going to start shooting my bow and arrows or something, and, and if I'll shoot one, and if you hear me tell the, my helper, hey, the arrow's further, keep going, <laughs> that means you're absolutely right, my dad's trying to kill you. And if I shoot it closer, and you don't hear that, that means everything's fine. Oh, guess what happened? (laughs) Hey, go further. Keep going. Keep going. And then he sent the kid away. And then he and David have this exchange. And 
it's one of these beautiful pictures. They say, you've got to run. Um, but, but I commit for the rest of my life. And John, both of them said, for the, for the rest of our lives, we will never harm each other's family. They hugged each other. It's, it's this, this wonderful, like I don't know, wonderful is probably a bad term, but it's just this beautiful embrace of, of loyalty and love to one another. And David goes on the run. You turn the page, go to chapter 21. David has this mighty men of valor there. They're starving. And they approach one of the locations where, where one of the priests are. Not the high priest, it's a different priest. And David goes into the guy and he says, I need some food. We're starving. And the priest says, I, I didn't hear about any mission. What's going on? David pulls, this is an extremely classified mission. Saul doesn't want anybody knowing about this. So if anybody asks you, you didn't see me, you don't know anything. And the guy's like, okay, well, I have no food. There isn't any food. And eventually as it kind of unravels, he says, you know what? There's the consecrated bread. And they would make these loaves of bread once a week that they would present to God. Nobody was allowed to eat them. It was clear in Scripture uh, that only the priests were allowed to eat this bread. And the priest says, have any of your guys been with women? David says, no, we're at battle. We don't, like, that, that's forbidden. Our, our, men are, our men are clean. They're pure. They've been consecrated to God. And the guy says, all right, well, you can have this consecrated bread. And they take the bread. and you know, It's a really cool story. David's like, hey, hey. Got any weapons around here by any chance? <laughs> like I could. He said, "No, I don't. actually." <laughs> you remember Goliath? <laughs> we got his sword. David's like, "I know that sword. I'll take it." <laughs> and then they, the, the you know, the journey goes on, and I think the priest gets killed by Saul. And it's a fascinating story. Well, Jesus goes to the story, and he says, "Hey, you haven't you read that story?" And Jesus uses this story um, as precedence. And I think that as this Sabbath saga continues in the next week, we'll, we'll see that Jesus' point to them is that, um, that, that, that God has a higher priority over people and humanity than he does over his, even his ceremonial laws that he's created. That, 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 that humanity takes a higher priority. Like, this was something that David did that was a clear violation of what God had revealed. Yet after that incident, there's nothing that condemns David for what he did in that that setting. David was condemned for a whole lot of other stuff, but not this incident. And Jesus reasons with him, haven't you read that David ate this consecrated bread? Like, even, even then, um... One commentator alluded, um, I have to figure out how to say this. The old saying, if, there's a, if there, I'm in danger of a violating the saying, that if there's a, a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. <clears throat> we don't know the story of David and, and, and the history of Israel as the Israelites do and did back then. And so it would, for us to catch sort of like 
underlying themes in the obvious statement, it's much harder for us to, to, to pick up on. So when Jesus points out this story, the Pharisees would have known the context of this story. Jesus is clearly identifying himself to David. Jesus' disciples, who he's defending within this story, are related to David's mighty men, who are also in hiding, his companions. The Pharisees suddenly sort of take the role of Saul, the power broker of the day, the one who had the authority. And if you go back to that story, what was Saul doing? Saul was actively pursuing the execution of God's anointed man. And so here the Pharisees, at the end of next week in verse 6 of chapter 3, we'll see that they officially begin their quest to have Jesus executed. Um, Back in Matthew in the story, Jesus also adds, so he brings up this, that, that David did this and it was wrong. But the Bible doesn't condemn David. In Matthew 12, 5, he adds, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? He says, you know what, guys? In the temple on the Sabbath, all of the people that are honoring the Sabbath, there's a whole category of people that are not honoring the Sabbath. And it's the priest who are, who are making the Sabbath happen. Like to go and, like I've, I've never actually had to slaughter an animal for a sacrifice. I have to be very careful how I worded that. Um, but slaughtering an animal is no easy task. And then in the temple, in the, like when they're doing all the sacrifices and all the people are coming through and these guys are just like butchering animal after animal after animal after animal all day long. They are working. And Jesus says the, the law points it out that the priests on the Sabbath, they're desecrating the Sabbath because they're working really hard. And here we are in a day of worship. It's like for the, for the, the guy, the pastor who's, who's working, like it's worship and work for me. He says, this, like, guys, you're hypocrites. He, he's exposing the rules that they've created that God never imposed on man. And he's showing them that these man-made rules are, are worthless and God doesn't care about it. So we go into verse 27. And in verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is one of those that just kind of let that sink. The Sabbath was made for man. How was it made for man? If God didn't create the Sabbath and impose the Sabbath, man would just work, 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 work. That's the one thing about my trip to Japan. When I, the last time I was there, when I um, was asked by their church to go to preach the message to, to um, whatever the formal term, the, whatever it is, to make Ben the senior pastor of the church. <laughs> There's a more religious terminology for that that I'm just not. Uh, <laughs> um, it'll come to me at two in the morning. 
What? Not ordained. No, it's different. An installation message. I preached the installation message. My wife that grew up in church circles, she gave it to me. That's the one. <clears throat> I preached and I did a wonderful job. And, uh, but the thing is, in Japan, the society is so work. These guys work themselves into the ground. Like one of them, I remember, said there's, there's, there's two different positions in Japan. There's unemployed and there's work until you die. And they start at like, I don't know, they basically they get up at four or six or five in the morning and they work till two in the morning. Most of the guys don't even go home. They sleep on the office floor for like two hours. And you can see these guys on the train. Like this is the whole society just looking like zombies because they're working, working, working. And to me, this is what would happen if God didn't create the Sabbath, God says, work as hard as you want for those six days, but rest on the seventh. It's a blessing for man, not man for the Sabbath. And there are a lot of religious circles today that probably most of us aren't in, but, but there are many circles that have taken the Sabbath and they've turned it into this day where the day is like its own beast. It's revered. It's holy. It's set apart. And, and in order to give respect to the day, you have to do all of this stuff. And that's what happened during Jesus' culture. They created all of these rules that God didn't give. And Jesus says to them, guys, you're making it so the Sabbath is this thing to be worshipped and honored and you've put this burden on humanity that destroys them. That's this yoke that they can't bear. And that's not what God did. God created the Sabbath as a blessing to man, not the other way around. In verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And, and we can't, we have to underscore the significance of what Jesus just said in this verse. First, he brings up the Son of Man. Son of Man, going back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Daniel has this tremendous vision. He sees the Father and this overwhelming scene. And then in the midst of the scene, the Messiah enters, and this is where we pick up. And Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So Jesus says, so the Son of Man, and he's referring to himself. Don't let people tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God or never claimed to be divine. All through his life, he declared it boldly. That's why he was executed. So he says, the Son of Man is Lord, creator over all, even the Sabbath. 
by saying that he was Lord of the Sabbath, it's saying that he was the one that authored the Ten Commandments. He's the one that gave the 613 commandments. It's the, he's the one that gave the Word of God. And the one who is over the revelation is the one who can say what it means, what its purposes are. So this is huge. And what do we get from them? You get silence. I don't think they understood how to react to this. But we're going to see that on another Saturday next week. Um, so chapter 3, verse 1, another time he went to the synagogue. So Mark is going to continue this thread where Jesus is going to continue showing his authority over the Sabbath, over revelation, over everything. So what do we do with this passage? There's a, there's a, there's a few things. Um, there's Jesus, there's religion, and there's the Sabbath. So what do we do with these three things? Let's start with Jesus. The first thing I see in this passage is that this is yet again another place where Jesus declares that he is the Son of Man, that he is Lord, that he's creator over all. And he's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to, for you to bow your life to him. And the, the question is, is he Lord of your life? And I suspect that most of us will say yes. But the harder question to answer is, does your life reflect like he's actually Lord of it? Um, or is he more of a, a, an advisor to you or not to you that as you go about your life that you might go to him for like, hey, I need a couple thousand bucks, God, so can you deliver like the butler kind of thing? The question is, is, is Jesus positioned in your life in a way that he's actually Lord of your life? Where you seek him for decisions and, and just everything. And as we talk about religion, it's so easy to ding on the Pharisees. But it's super easy for us to become Pharisees. Um, I'd ask us to prayerfully consider the rules that you've added to your life that aren't biblical. Um, for me, when I became a Christian, there were so many things that I thought were biblical revelation that I was trying to apply to my life, not because I read it in the scriptures, but because I thought that's what Christians believed and held to, realizing that probably my influence of Christianity and understanding is from what the Simpsons displayed Ned Flanders to be. For those of you though, the Simpsons is, a, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to sell anybody out, but it's like for me when I became a Christian, it was like that was my greatest exposure probably to Christianity was what this, this cartoon portrayed the Christian neighbor to be. And so I thought that I had to become all of that stuff. And I'd created this whole system around me. And it probably wasn't until, you know, decades after becoming a Christian, and probably still is a work in my life, of discovering grace and discovering what kind of God God actually is. And I think this is why it's so important to be in the Word of God. 
that you're putting the scriptures into you um, so that your misconceptions of God would be exposed um, and you would understand what God said so that you can basically even confront false teaching that comes at you. What Mark doesn't say, and he also, in, in the same story back in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, at, at this point in the story, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. And what he says to them is, you don't even know the scriptures. You know all of the religion. You know all about the Mishnah. You know about all these, these rules that the rabbis have created that are outside of the word of God, that you don't even know the word of God. And if you'd known the word of God, you would know that God desires you to be a merciful people, not a people of sacrifice, which is super convicting. Now let's talk about the Sabbath, which is actually, it's, 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 one, of the, it's one of the more trickier elements of the Ten Commandments. Um, <clears throat> Jesus fulfilled the law. Um, and so I, I look at the laws in the Old Testament, the 613 commands there, um, as like a jurisdiction for one people. And then if you go to the New Testament, it's like you're in a new uh, jurisdiction. Um, We think about laws from one land to the other land. If you look at the laws in the United States and the laws in Canada, the laws in various countries around the world, um, there's a lot of overlap of laws. But if you murder somebody in Canada, are you prosecuted by French law? No, you're prosecuted by what did I say, Canada? Can- Canadian law. <laughs> I have to remember which country I used. And so many of the Old Testament laws, there's a lot of laws that are replicated in the New Testament. That That's really our jurisdiction. Now the one law of the Ten Commandments, if we're just sticking with the Ten Commandments, the only one that's really not replicated in the New Testament is the Sabbath. It's, it's referenced in Hebrews, kind of about Jesus being our Sabbath. Uh, we... we and so the question is, um, how do we handle it? You know, obviously we're here on a Sunday, um, not a technical s- Saturday. And so why do we gather on this day? I think we see in Acts, following uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, and even at the end of the Gospels, we see that the apostles were meeting then on, on Sunday, sort of, they'd kind of consecrated a new day to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Um, in Hebrews 10.25, we, we read the command to followers of Christ, uh, let, us not give, uh, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So we see this, um, this command in the epistles where Christians are commanded to, to gather on a, on a regular basis. Um, so I think that there is a biblical command for us to gather on a weekly basis as, as Christians. Um, and, and then the question that I think has to be asked is sort of a, in a reverse question, like sort of a, from the other aspect of it is, 
is like, what excuse do you need in order to forsake this command to, to gather? Um, so like I said, I'm not trying to intentionally step on anybody's toes. My toes are totally being stepped on. But the question is, is like, do you need something that's an extremely big deal or a pretty, like, if you're sick, obviously that's a great thing. Like, we don't want the flu to continue. Um, but the question is, like, what, what do you need to happen in your life in order, in order for you to say, oh, I don't need to go to church today? Um, some of us, it's like a really, really big deal. And some of us are like, eh, it's 71 degrees and I really like it to be between 72 and 74 to attend or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think about Eric Liddell. Like, he's been on my mind for some reason recently. And this is this great English runner who became a missionary. But in 1924, it was the Olympics. And, and he was an Olympic runner that was like England's finest. And he had said for his whole life, I will not compete on Sundays because it's the Sabbath. And he was a 100-meter sprinter type guy. The 1924 Olympics came around, and I don't remember all of the details, so, so, so let me tell the story, and you guys can, you, I, I'll read Wikipedia later to get all the facts straight. But his two or three events that he really ran and that England needed him to run in order to get the medals that they needed, they all fell on a Sunday. And so if I understand right, England as a nation was like, oh, this, is, this, is a, this is a big, big problem. And so they reached out to the Olympic Committee a couple times and said, hey, can we rework this schedule? And I think basically the Olympic Committee said, no, like, no. You want to rework the schedule because one of your runners is a prima donna and can't run on us? And like, that's exactly what we're asking. Like, please, let us change the schedule. They won't change the schedule. So you have Eric Liddell, his nation, who's counting on him to represent and to run these races, pleading with him. And I'm thinking, where would Gunner break? It's the Olympics. Like, I mean, I think just that alone, I could, I could come up with a good reason. The Olympics of why it would be, I'm under grace, like why it would be okay to miss a Sunday. He refused. The pressure of his nation, there's document that some guy that was close to him and said, hey, Eric, you know, when I study the Bible, the Sabbath goes from the night, that, that, like sunset the previous night to like the afternoon of the next day. And these events are in the afternoon. <laughs> so how about you do your Sabbath from Saturday night to Sunday afternoon, and then you run? And from what I understand, he said, last time I checked, the Sabbath goes all day, and it's going to run all day. And so he did, and he ended up running like a, a, a different event. He ended up running like the 400 meters. And it turns out he was really brilliant in the 400 meters, which he would have never run had he like held to his convictions. But I think of his story, and I, I am deeply convicted in an age where worshiping on Sunday mornings just isn't a huge priority, like, within the Christian community. 
oh, I can miss because I can watch it online on Saturday night or Monday morning or this or that. But I see this huge command for believers to be in community, to, to, to take the day, to focus on God. Um, like, I don't, ha- like I, I don't have a lot of convictions about weed whacking on a Sunday afternoon. Like, all I'm saying is, is my prayer is that we would come to the text, we would look at this, the Pharisees got it wrong, and so I'm not encouraging us to make a bunch of rules of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But I can't come to this text w- without the reality is that there, there are stipulations in the New Testament for us and gathering together and being in community and, and worshiping on a Sunday that then begs the question, not, not on the, hey, challenge your rules, but maybe challenge the reasons that you're okay with for, for missing on a, on, on a Saturday. And this is a great day to be here because we're all honoring God. Like hopefully, like, you know what I mean? We're all here today for those of you that are in my presence. And I think we should remember that God gave the Sabbath as a blessing, not something to break our backs with. Oh, I also have written in my notes, retirement with a question mark. Yeah, we have a lot of people that are retired. Like, what does that look like? <laughs> like, like, I'm like, how? I forgot to have the conversations. I imagine some saying, "Every day is a Sabbath for me." Or then maybe that's me just imagining retirement, <laughs> like, or wishing that's what. <clears throat> what I see from this text is, do your retirement things for six days. Whatever retirement things are, do your do it your retirement for six days fully. And then on the seventh day, set it apart for God. Because he wants you to rest from resting. You know, <laughs> I just, just, uh, we should be a people that desire and have the conviction that we want to honor God um, and have a restful day once a week. And with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you that you are the author of the weekend, that you are a God that cares about our. Uh, our mental and emotional and physical health, um, that is very much connected to pressing pause on our lives, that we would stop for a day, and that we would um, consider you, that we would come together as a community and honor you with our lives through singing, through studying your word, through fellowshipping with one another, through resting. Father, I ask that you would help us to, to navigate the principles in this passage in a way that we don't become legalistic like the Pharisees did. We acknowledge that it's easier to see in others and and so difficult to see in our own lives. So, Father, I I pray that you would just help us to see areas in our life where we've created rules that you haven't demanded of us and that you would also help us to see uh, the rules and principles that you um, have placed before us, Lord, for, for really for our good. 
Um, it's so easy to come down on the Old Testament, but really the, the nation of Israel, they had good lives because of these rules. They, um, you had set up these rules to protect them from harm. You've set up these rules to um, protect them from illness. You've set up these rules to be a blessing to them as we look at the Sabbath. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to organize our lives in a way that we honor you with all that we do, that we honor you with our rest. Um, Pray for those of us that maybe struggle to get the rest that we need, the workaholics in our midst, that you would help us to force ourselves um, to to hit the brakes once a week, throughout the week, in a way that we truly are showing you that we trust you to take care of these things that that need to be dealt with. And so, Lord, we do thank you that you're a God that cares about us in this way. We thank you for the blessing of a day off, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.